Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. Yep, and that's the series we're in over the last few weeks. By the way, welcome to uh, First Baptist this morning, whether you're here uh, in person or watching online. Thank you for uh, choosing to join us, especially since we magically lose an hour on Saturdays like we just experienced. So it just means that much more that you would choose to get yourself out here or get yourself up and uh, tune in the, uh, the broadcast this morning. So that, that's what we're doing. We're working through a series on love where you live, and we've been uh, trying to push into the, the biblical basis for that and, and how God challenges us that way and also trying to, on a monthly basis, do a, a project of some sort that pushes us into the community uh, to let the community around us know that, that we love them and that we support them and we want to encourage them. And so this last week we had a chance to do that. Some of you made some cookies. Some of you wrote some notes. Some of you delivered and helped package uh, these things. And so we've got one uh, we dropped off at the fire department. Uh, so we've got a picture, I believe, of the fire department drop-off. Right there. So those guys at Station 12 were very grateful uh, for that. Uh, and we, we delivered 60 or 70 uh, notes to pastors and church staff around the community. And then a whole bunch of others that we couldn't track down or couldn't see them in person, we, we sent in the mail. And so we've already gotten uh, some phone message, some text message, uh, just being very grateful for your love and support of the people uh, in our community. So we're trying to do that in a in a tangible way, not just talk about it, but try to really put it into practice. And so thus far, just to kind of bring you up to speed in case you've missed uh, some of this or you're here just for the first time, we've, we've landed on, well, the, the first thing that we decided is that we've got to change our sight lines, that we've got to look uh, differently than what we uh, typically do. It's very easy to see people face-to-face and recognize their humanity and the, the physical aspect of their existence. But we are trying to lift our sight lines a little bit and recognize that there is something even beyond that. And so we've landed on 2 Corinthians 5.16 as kind of the central passage for this series. And it says this, So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. So we're lifting the way we see. We're, we're, it's very easy to see people, again, their humanity and miss the spiritual nature of who they are. And so we are recognizing that as we interact with people, that we're interacting certainly with human beings that we can see, but there is a spirituality behind them. They are spiritual beings that God loves, that Jesus died for, and that we need to recognize that there is uh, a lot going on, uh, even things that we aren't uh, able to visibly uh, see. So we've talked about that. We've talked about then Peter's talked about loving your enemies. That was a great one. Uh, super challenging to recognize what does it mean to love those that don't love us back. Not only that, maybe love those that would seek to harm us. How do we love our enemies? Last week Peter uh, talked about uh, loving uh, believers, how that we can, how we love one another, that the way we treat one another, the way we interact with one another says a lot to the world around us. So we're, we're working our way through uh, this uh, series and this morning we want to land on what does it mean to love 
the people right around us, our oikos. We'll talk about that a little bit more uh, in a little bit. But that's what we want to land on uh, this week. So I, I received a phone call, a phone message this week from a friend of mine from high school. Uh, so it's been 40 or so years since we were in high school. And this was his uh, phone message to me. He said, hey, hey, hey Jeff, uh, I want you to pray for me. Uh, there's a, a friend of ours who uh, 40 years ago we were at football practice and I asked him after football practice if he wanted to receive Jesus as his Savior. And he said, not right now, but sometime in my life I, I think I'll want to do that. And he goes, it's 40 years later. I feel like I need to call him and ask him if he wants to receive Jesus. So I said, you bet, I'll pray. But I need to back the truck up here a little bit because my friend Dan, when he was in high school, was, was pretty far from Jesus. In fact, we, we hung out a lot together uh, I remember a distinct conversation that we had in high school where he said, hey, um, I'm going to, uh, or no, I went to see a fortune teller. Uh, I'm just looking for direction in my life, and I went to see a fortune teller. What do you think? And I go, dude, of course, I was in high school, so I didn't have, like, the deep theology I have now. But uh, I said, I, I'm not sure that's a great idea. So he was really searching uh, the last time I had contact with him. And then fast forward to our 10-year reunion, and I listen, I'm listening to this guy, and he is just going on about how good Jesus is and the transformation that God's made in his life. And I'm thinking, who is this guy? Who is this guy? And so then he calls me this week and says, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm going to call this guy. And so I haven't got the results or haven't heard what happened from their conversation, but as we think about the story that we're going to look at in Scripture today, Dan's story and probably many of your stories of transformation uh, come to my mind. So let's look at this together. If you have your Bible this morning, we're looking at, in the book of Mark. It's Mark chapter 5. And so if you want to find that in your Bible, that would be great. Uh, we're going to start uh, reading at verse 6. But let me kind of give, set the scene for you by giving you the first five verses uh, Jesus is coming across the Sea of Galilee with his disciples. They're in a, a boat together. In, uh, in Mark 4, uh, right before this, they're coming across the lake and they encounter a huge storm and they're fearful that they're going to die. And Jesus gets up and calms the storm. And then they arrive here in the area of the Gerizines. And uh, there's a guy uh, there who lives up in the hills where the tombs are. He's... Um, it says this, actually, I'll, I'll read for you verse 5. It says, night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. So this man was demon-possessed, living in the tombs all by himself, and night and day he would uh, just cry out in anguish and despair. So here we are in verse 6. It says this, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus. Send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, 
rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been, demon, who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed in his right mind and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people begged, began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. So before we, before we jump more deeply into this story, there's a couple things I want to just kind of highlight. One of the things I've already mentioned is Mark is structuring this in a, in a particular way. In Mark chapter 4, we, we see the story of the calming of the uh, storm. And then we see it here in Mark 5, uh, the story of Jesus healing this demon-possessed man. And, and this is not by accident. Mark, I believe, is trying to communicate and try to illustrate for us who Jesus is. He has power over nature. He's able to uh, control uh, nature and what's happening there. And he has uh, power over the spiritual realm in casting out these demons from this man. And Mark is illustrating his power, his divinity, who Jesus is. So that's one thing I, I want us to understand as we jump into the story. The second thing is this. The spiritual realm is very real. It is a, it is a part of creation. It is part of the way God uh, made the world. And there are occasions when these two realms overlap one another. And we'll see the spiritual kind of show up in the physical. Now we, we have these... We have these experiences as well. We may not necessarily identify it in the same way or it may not be as obvious to us as maybe this demon-possessed man who was up in the hills cutting himself with stones and who was unable to be, it says they couldn't even control him because he was, uh, they would bind him with chains and he would tear the chains off. And so we maybe don't see things uh, as uh, obvious as that, but the reality is that the spiritual part of our existence is very real. Paul in the book of Ephesians says just as much. He says, our struggle, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in this dark world. He, Paul acknowledges that there is something going on here that goes beyond the physical that we see and that we experience on a daily basis. And so when we, when we see it that way, it even... I, I think it illustrates the relevance of what we're doing in this series even more importantly. That when we are dealing with people and we're, when we are uh, trying to love where we live as we're talking about this, we're recognizing that there is a real live battle going on for people's souls and for uh, what's happening in the world. That there is a lot going on here. And this should give us some direction for how we approach not just other people but how we look at our own life and what God is doing in our own life. So let's look at this uh, a little bit more uh, in depth. And so I want to start by looking at when Jesus first encounters this man, I want, I want us to kind of push into to his condition. So here's what we know from the first few verses of Mark chapter 5. Physically, this guy was out of control. 
It says they would try to bind him up and control him physically and he would tear chains off. No one could control him physically. He was physically out of control. He lived alone in the, in the hills up where the tombs were, in the graveyard basically. Socially, he was an outcast. He was isolated. He was separated from society. So physically, he's out of control. Socially and emotionally, he is broken. And spiritually, he's broken as well. He's got these, these impure spirits living in him. He's out of his mind. He's not experiencing life the way God intended it to be. And I really believe this is Satan's mode of operation. In John chapter 10, Jesus says about Satan that he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Every good thing that God is trying to do, Satan wants to tear down. And we've experienced this. Again, even if, if, we, if you don't sit here this morning and say that you've experienced demon possession, that would be very rare. But, but many of us have encountered struggles and challenges in our life. And in a very real way, we were recognizing that there are uh, evil forces that are trying to keep us and separate us and tear down what God's trying to do in our life. So this part of our life is very real. And so we make this observation, this same observation about the man, physically uh, broken, socially and emotionally broken, spiritually broken. This is true of us. Outside of a relationship with God through Jesus, this man is us. Ephesians chapter 2 says that before we knew Christ, we were dead in our transgressions and sins. We were separated from God. So this man is us. Outside of our relationship with God, this man is us. So as we, uh, and here's the way this shows up. Again, uh, you may not be out in the graveyard cutting yourself with stones, uh, crying out in anguish, but maybe you're an angry person. Maybe you have a critical spirit. Maybe you're very prideful. Uh, it, could, it could be that there are other places where this shows up in your life. Maybe you're just complacent and, and kind of lazy. Uh, spiritually, you're, you're, you're not engaged. There's all sorts of ways that this shows up in our life. And it makes us ineffective for what God wants to do in our life. It makes us ineffective for the kingdom work that God has called us to. So we need to recognize that that man in many ways uh, is us. But secondly, I want us to look at uh, his transformative encounter with Jesus. And to me, this is the, the crux of the story. Now, l- let me just say, if, you, if you've been around church a long time or if you have your kids over in Sunday school right now, they're eventually going to get this story because you cannot make it through kids' Sunday school without getting the story of the demon-possessed man. It's too good. There's too much going on here that, that is, is too good to, to let it let it go. Now, we don't have time this morning to go into every aspect of it, but there are a few things I just want to kind of highlight before we dig into what happened to this man. First of all, there is this recognition from the impure spirits about who Jesus is. When they cry out to him, they call him the son of the most high God. So here's the thing. This is not Jesus talking about himself. This is not the disciples talking about Jesus. This is the impure spirits acknowledging full force who Jesus is. So it's one thing for Jesus to call out his divinity and say, hey, I'm the son of God. It's another thing for the disciples to say that about Jesus. 
But when these impure spirits acknowledge and recognize who Jesus is, I find that fascinating. It's interesting that this, the demon's journey uh, out of the man into the pigs and then the destruction of the pigs. Again, now as a kid, you know, I'm in fifth grade Sunday school and I'm thinking, what does 2,000 pigs floating in the Sea of Galilee look like? I mean, I'm, I'm intrigued by this because I, I, can't, I cannot imagine that scene of seeing that herd, uh, you know, run down the hill into the ocean uh, or into the sea and drown. Uh, that's, for me as a fifth grader, I'm like, that's the kind of Bible story I want to hear. I want to hear more of those. I want to hear more of those. And then the, the, the last thing before we jump into this man's uh, experience is the reaction uh, of the people that come after they hear about what happened. And it seems to me that the, the natural response was, man, thank you, Jesus. You're, thanks for the power you demonstrate, uh, that you've demonstrated in this man's life. Uh, we are excited to have you in our area, right? Wrong. The first thing they ask is, could you please leave? Could you, could you please leave? And so the, the, the short story here for me is when Jesus shows up, it should be disruptive. When Jesus shows up, it should be disruptive. In your own life, you could probably speak to that. Even now as we walk with the Lord, when, when Jesus shows up, it's going to fly in the face of maybe things we've always believed are a certain way or maybe things that we think should be a certain way. And when, we, and when Jesus shows up and speaks into it, it's going to disrupt our way of thinking. It should disrupt our way of thinking. So let's look at what happened in this man's life. So we've described his, his condition physically, emotionally, socially, uh, spiritually. When the people come rushing out from the community, they've heard what's happened. When they show up, what do they find? They find this man with Jesus sitting there in his right mind, first of all. He's in his right mind. So physically, he's fully restored. Socially and emotionally, he's completely capable now. He's sitting there quietly with Jesus. And probably most importantly, spiritually, he's set free. So everything that this man was struggling with is completely transformed by this encounter with Jesus. Completely renewed. And here's what I'm sure many of you could speak to as well. You could talk about the transformation that's happened in your own life since you met Jesus. The Bible talks about this in a number of places. I wanted to highlight a couple of them real quick. If you've got your Bible, find Romans chapter 12. I hear those pages turning. Romans chapter 12. If you're digital, find Romans chapter 12, verse 2 of Romans 12. Paul is writing this. He says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, another great one. It's the verse that follows kind of our theme verse for this series. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. The Bible makes it clear that when Jesus comes on the scene, it's going to disrupt what's been happening in your life. And not only that, it's going to transform who you are into who God wants 
uh, you to be. And that's what happened with this man. He was not experiencing the life that God had intended, but he encountered Jesus in a transformative way, and it changed everything about who he was. So we've seen the man's condition. We've seen his transformative encounter with Jesus. Lastly, we need to see his response. So his response is what naturally you would expect. Hey, I want to go with you. Jesus, you've, you've freed me for everything that was holding me down. I want to go with you. I want to follow you. He was naturally excited about what God had done for him through Jesus. And so he wanted to be a part of that. But what was Jesus' command to him? Jesus' command was go home to your family. Now sometimes, it, in my experience, it's, it seems to me a bit easier to kind of hang close to Jesus and let him do kind of the, the heavy lifting and I'll just cozy up to Jesus. I'll always stay next to him. I mean, I've been to, uh, the place I've noticed this probably the most is on some of the mission trips we've done. So we've gone to Mexico, we've gone to Thailand, we've gone to different places. And I've seen people, especially in Mexico, uh, students in particular, high school students, give powerful uh, testimonies about what God's doing in their life and they're boldly, uh, talking about their faith, and I'm thinking, man, I would love to hear that within the youth group or at home or whatever. And so you talk to them a little bit, and the basic answer sounds something like this. Well, I'm never going to see these people again. They don't know me. They don't know my history. So we find it much easier sometimes to go someplace where we're kind of anonymous. We can be bold. We can talk about Jesus. But, man, when we're with our friends or people that know us real well, yikes. They, they know too much about me. Or I'm going to have to actually live it, right? That's probably the more scary thing. Like these people in Mexico, they're never going to see me again, so they don't know the inconsistencies in my life. But these people that go to youth group with me, uh, they, they see me. So sometimes it's easier to, to kind of find this path away into the, into the unfamiliar. But Jesus doesn't give us that option. Again, this disruptiveness of what he does. He says, no, you go home to your community. You go home to your family. And you, t you tell them what God has done uh, in your life. So uh, in order to illustrate this, my good buddy Jason Mello. Now Jason, I'm gonna, I've asked Jason to come this morning. He's going to help uh, me illustrate this. Uh, I love this guy. He and I, he's such an encouragement uh, in my life. He and I have had uh, numerous conversations about life in general, about what God's doing um, and I'm just going to say right off the bat that uh, neither one of us is perfect. We don't sit up here this morning as perfect. We're claiming the verse in uh, Philippians 1 and verse 6 that says, He who began a good work in you is in the process of completing it until the day of Jesus' return, right? So we're not perfect. But a, a few weeks ago, he and I were having a conversation, and he made this statement. He said, you know, the Jason of 20 years ago, would not have responded that way. And I'm like, boy. And then I started thinking about this, this uh, message that I was going to be working on. And I said, man, I'm going to ask Jason if he would just come and kind of tell us a little bit more about the Jason of 20 years ago. So, man, thanks for doing this. Uh, I, yeah, tell, me, tell us about this Jason of 20 so, years ago. first of all, I appreciate you having me up here. Of course, when I got the phone call two weeks ago... Um, Jeff asked me would I come up and speak. Well, actually, first he told me if I could, if he would video me. I'm like, yeah, video. But then it turned into speak, 
and uh, on stage. And I said, yeah, that'd be an honor. I'd love to. And he said, I said, what's your sermon on? And he said, uh, so on the demon-possessed man. I was like, oh, thank you? Okay. So um, the Jason of 20 years ago, uh, so some of my earliest memories was me being angry. Like, even as a small child, I remember like it was yesterday, um, quitter socks. And that sounds stupid, but quitter socks. I couldn't function. And my mom's back there. She'd probably shake her head. I, I couldn't function if I had quitter socks. I would lose my mind. Well, first, okay, hang on. I got to stop. And I didn't do this first hour. So you said that. That's the first time I've ever heard that term, by the way, quitter socks. So I'm just curious. How many of you know, have heard that term before? I know... I know what he's talking about now, but... Socks what, that what? fall down. They won't stay up. Ah, okay. <laughs> Quitter socks. All right, go ahead. Sorry. So something that small would make me just, I, you know, I just couldn't handle it. And so as I got older, that, um, the anger didn't go away. I was very um, in control of me. It's all on me. I'm in control. Um, my success, my failure is based on me. It's my hard work. I can do it. Um, I'm not going to put blame on anybody. I'm not going to count on anybody. It's on me. Well, that doesn't work so well. So that ended up leading into a great deal of anxiety, worry, stress. Um, was not healthy at all. So I even heard it causes premature graying, but I, I, don't, I don't think that's true. But You're older than you think you are. So, so it, it, um, it, was just, it, it was making me physically ill to the point, even to the point to where I was told I had a heart attack, which was an anxiety attack. But um, the way I would handle things, I would lash out at loved ones. Um, Things didn't go my way, not like uh, pouting, but I would just be angry. And I would be mostly angry with myself for failing. And then um, after I cooled down, I knew it was what I had done was wrong, the anger and my reaction. And, um, but that didn't make me feel any better because now I'm just angry at me for being angry. And I, and I um, lashed out and reacted the wrong way, and, and I just assumed it was, like, unforgivable. So I, I think from our conversations we've had, this really was cyclical, right? It would just become a cycle of, of, of that anger or anxiety uh, reproducing itself. So um, we could wallow in that for another five or ten minutes if we wanted to, but let's not do that. Let's talk about, hey, talk to me about the trans. Formation that you've noticed in your own life uh, since you've had a more um, a, a greater commitment or, or uh, yeah, I guess, involvement in your life with Christ? So one of the biggest things for me was, um, as I got to know Christ, was um, trusting in his plan and, not, and understanding that I'm not in control. I'm not in control of the situation ever. I'm in control of my reaction to the situation. Um, it has helped me want to be a better person. It has helped me want or to be more patient. 
Now, I know, unless you've known me my whole life, you're probably thinking, and you only know me a little bit, you're probably thinking, like, this is the nicer Jason? I mean, this is the better Jason, believe it or not, and I am a lot more patient than I used to be. Um, it also, it's also kind of, I don't want to say frustrating, but, I mean, I fail daily, daily, with my reaction to certain situations. And I, I'm able to recognize now when I fail, it's because I'm not doing my due diligence to spend time in God's Word. I'm very routine. I, have, I get up in the morning and I read my Bible verse and What's weird is the closer I get to God, if I don't continue, like there's never, I'm never caught up, if you will. It's never enough. You know, when I have struggles, which I do all the time, um, it's because I'm not, I'm not living what I believe and I'm not um, searching God and I'm trying to be God. I'm trying to control everything and I'm not living by, hey, I'm not in control. Yeah. Well, I, I thank you for sharing that uh, this morning. One of the things uh, that I just, I guess I want to acknowledge to kind of wrap this up is uh, they had a wedding in their family a few months ago, and uh, Jason, uh, you know, one thing, uh, he's, he's not bad in front of people, right? I mean, he's, it looks like he's pretty, pretty comfortable, but when he's, his uh, father of the bride speech was pretty epic. It was pretty incredible. But you know what, the, the, um, the thing that I appreciated the most was that amongst the other things that you shared that night, just your willingness to acknowledge that, uh, that God's got to be first. If God's not first in, in your life, in your marriage, in your relationships, then there's, you're headed for trouble. So my brother, thanks for sharing. I appreciate your honesty and uh, we'll continue to battle this together, yeah? Thank you. All Thank right. you guys. All right. So, so I think the important thing that I want us to uh, recognize uh, this morning is uh, this is just Jason's willingness to share, it, it, to me, is an illustration of uh, one person's transformation story, right? I mean, there's probably a number of people that we could have had come out here and share, talk about the difference that God's made in your life. And this is an important part of, of who we are, of, of telling our story. And so when we think about that, uh, that's really where we want to land this morning. Jesus, when, he, when that man's life was transformed, sends him back into his community and says, go. Okay, go to your family. Tell them about the good things that, that God has done uh, for you. Now let me ask you a question, those of you that maybe have been around uh, First Baptist for a little while. When, when Jesus tells the man, go home to your family, what, what Greek word do you think uh, Jesus uses there? Oikos. So here's the thing, if you thought that oikos was Pastor Peter's deal, or you get really irritated at Peter because he keeps, why does he keep doing this oikos thing? This was not Peter's idea. Oikos was not Peter's idea. This was Jesus' idea. Jesus said, go home 
to your family. Go home to your oikos and tell them about the great things that God has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So this morning, I want to finish with, with this uh, challenge for you. On your seat when you came in this morning, there is an Oikos card. If you're watching at home this morning, in the announcements section uh, there on the website, uh, there is a download of the uh, Oikos card that you can uh, look at this morning. Now, some of you are saying, well, hey, listen, I've been around here. I've, I've already done an Oikos card. I've, I've got an Oikos card. Maybe you need to update it. Maybe, you've, maybe you're happy with it and you don't need to do anything with it. That's, that's fine too. But I want us to look at, at that this morning because as we go through this series together, the challenge this morning is that Jesus is telling us, much like he told the man in Mark chapter 5, much like uh, Jason and I are, are trying to embrace that Jesus calls us to go home to your family, to your community, to your oikos and talk about what God has done for you. So your card looks like something like this. It's on the screen there in front of you. Um, I want to walk you through it real quick. I'm not going to ask you to fill this out this morning. Uh, all I'm going to ask you to do is that if you're willing to take the challenge with us, that you take it home with you. And here's the beauty, beautiful thing about this. It doesn't matter if you're 15 years old or you're 85 years old, you have an oikos. And so I would encourage you, regardless of who you are this morning, is that you would just begin to carefully think through uh, what, we're, what we want to be about as a church together. So let's look, first of all, at the people that are, that are going to be on your Oikos card. There are four groups of people that we want to identify. First is the pre-Christian people in our life, those who, who have yet to make a, a decision to follow Christ. Now, for some of you, you've got a, a, a great pool of those people around you. It could be coworkers, it could be neighbors, it could be family members, uh, any, any kind of people that are naturally uh, close to you uh, that do not have a relationship with God. This, this is a category for me that I have to be very intentional about, right? I work in an office where everyone's a Christian. And I, I work at a place where a, a good majority of the people I interact with are Christian people. And so I have to be really intentional in my life to say, hey, I, I want to make sure that I've got a place where there are pre-Christian people that I can interact with. With. You need to be thinking about who are those people in your life. And let me just say this. There's like four in each category. You might know more than four pre-Christian folks. You can add as many in there as you want, right small, and you can, you can get them on there. Pre-Christians is the first group. Prodigals would be the second group. Believers who are not actually uh, pursuing their faith at this time. So maybe at one point they were involved in church. They were connected to God in a more intimate way. And perhaps they've moved away from uh, God in some way, uh, so that would be your, your prodigals. The third group is the purposefuls, those uh, believers in your life that are super encouraging to you. They are actively pursuing their relationship with God. They are, they are close to you. They're challenging you. might be in your small group or a Bible study that you attend or uh, within your family that are just encouraging you as you walk uh, with God. So they're very purposeful purposeful in how uh, they live and pursue their life. And then the, the fourth category there is potentials. Those uh, who God seems to be just putting in your path one way or another. And it's very interesting. Uh, Dave Fox was here for the first hour and, and, and my good friend Dave, this is one of his, his, he's just passionate about this. He just believes that God gives these, these appointments in our life. That he brings people across our path 
uh, at just the right time. And so there may be these people that are just have been showing up in your life that you didn't expect or you hadn't been seen in a, in a, uh, for a season. So that's the people that we're talking about. And then we want you to follow these steps. As you think about working this out, here are the steps that are involved in this. The first thing I would just ask you to do is pray. Pray, think, observe, and then begin to fill out uh, this card. So again, I'm not asking us to do this this morning. I just would invite you to take this with you and begin to think about and pray about who God would want you to put on this list. Secondly, we're going to start praying for them. So I want you to put this card someplace where you're going to see it. Uh, Maybe on your mirror in your bathroom. Maybe you're going to tuck it in your Bible so that when you do your Bible reading, you will see it and you will pray for them. Someplace where it is regularly in front of you where you can begin and continue to pray for the people that are on your list. You're going to make the list. You're going to pray. Third, you're going to invest. You're going to look for opportunities. Look for those appointments that Dave was talking about. Look for the opportunity that would show up and maybe make some proactive, intentional steps on your own to nurture that relationship with these people. It might be text messages. It might be going out of your way to see them when you know that you can find them in a certain spot. But being very intentional about how you approach your relationship with them. And then the, so I would say, let me just pause right here and say, those are three steps that you can do immediately. You can begin to work on these three things immediately. You can make your list, you can begin to pray, and then you can invest in those relationships there. And then the last two steps would uh, involve uh, taking some uh, steps to invite them. You're going to invite them to come to church with you perhaps. Or maybe there's an event that's happening at church that you could invite them to. Or maybe you're involved in a group that you could bring them to. Or maybe you just want to go get a meal with them and spend some time with them. But make an invitation uh, to put yourself face-to-face with them and maybe get them connected with other people um, who are believers. And then lastly is prepare. First and foremost, just to strive to be an example of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Live in a way that is attractive, that people say there's something different about how you are living or the choices that you're making or your attitude in in difficult circumstances. Jason made a great uh, point when he talked about it's not the, the circumstances or it's how I react to the circumstances. And as we uh, find ourselves more intimately connected with Jesus, we're going to find our responses are going to, going to change to the things that are happening around us. So prepare. Live in a way that demonstrates that transformation that God's done in your life. And then really be ready to tell your story because this is, this is exactly what God tells, what Jesus tells this man. He says, go home to your people and tell them what the Lord has done for you. And how he has had mercy on you. Be ready to tell your story. Let me pray for us. God, we are so grateful as we think about what you have done in our life. Maybe even as we sit here this morning and as we've uh, heard from Jason just sharing uh, honestly about his own life. That we could even uh, point to our own transformation. And for that we say thank you, God, for your faithfulness. Thank you for your goodness uh, in our life. And perhaps you're sitting here this morning and, and you're honestly saying, you know what, I, I, I'm interested. Uh, I've been around church a little bit, but I, I don't think I've ever uh, experienced this transformation, this change that happens 
that God wants to make in my life. And, and our encouragement to you would be that transformation can, happens through a commitment to Christ. And it sounds like this. At first we admit, A, we admit that we're a sinner. We admit that we're broken, that emotionally, spiritually, that we're broken and that we need help, that we need a Savior in our life. And that, B, we believe that Jesus is that Savior of the world. And through a relationship with him, we can experience this transformation. transformation. And then see that we choose to follow him daily. Not perfectly, daily we choose to follow him. So that prayer begins that, this part of transformation. And then secondly this morning, maybe you're here and you say, you know what? Uh, I'm, a, I'm a follower of Jesus. I, 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 want, I want to be effective for the kingdom and so our, our challenge to you would be just to begin to pray for the people that God has supernaturally and strategically placed in your life for this impact. So God, I'm grateful this morning for those that have a relationship with you, that are, are committed to uh, following you with their life. And now God, I, I pray that as we walk out of this place that we would, uh, that our sight lines would be lifted, that we would have uh, a positive view of the world around us, that we would recognize the transformation that you've made in our life and that, God, you would help us to have an impact in our oikos with these people that you have put in our life. And then, God, we look forward to hearing the stories uh, that happen as we live faithfully before you, that you will draw people to yourself uh, as we live that example in front of them. And then as we tell the story, the transformation that you've made in our life. God, would you bless us this week? Make us an example of this transformation. Uh, help us as we seek to love those around us and make an impact in the lives of our oikos. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.